Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Let's get to work. Let's get to work. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 4, 17. Come on now, Mission Church. I'm about to preach. Get out of here, stool. I said I was going to sit down, and I was like, now I want to stand. Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Everybody say, preach. Come on, God built you to preach, by the way. Don't, don't think I'm the only preacher at Mission Church. Don't think that, that Joe and I are ones that own preaching here. Our guest speakers are only preacher. No, you were built to preach, okay? Um, God did not create you to be silent. He gave you uh, a, a mouth, a voice, an influence to preach the gospel, okay? And here's what Jesus preached. The first sermon he ever preached, a.k.a. the first thing he declared was, repent of your sins. Everybody say repent. And it's just not a bad word because in the church world, you've heard it said with different syllables, like repent, you know, you better repent, sinner. You know, like I just, I never liked the word for the longest time until you hear what it is. And all it is is just an invitation to change for the better. And now, no, he says, repent of your sins. Then let's, let's break down this whole statement that Jesus is saying. Sin, the word uh, in Greek sin, it was a picture of somebody shooting at a target and missing the target. So what he's saying is repent of your aim. You're shooting at the wrong things in life. He's saying, will you change your aim? You're aiming at this, but you should be aiming at that. You've been running over here, but you should be running over here. So he's saying, man, I want to change where you're aiming your life. I want to change where your heart's desires are at. And when I change those things, it's going to change everything. Here's a question I presented a few weeks ago in this series, Game Changers. What is the one thing that you believe in your heart, for some reason the enemy has convinced you, that if this thing changes, everything's going to be all better? Is it finding a spouse? Is it fixing your spouse? Just let that sit for a second. <laughs> is it having kids? Fixing your kids. I can keep going with that one, but I'm just going to put that on the shelf. Is it changing the political landscape of the United States of America? Let's move fast. Okay, I shouldn't have stayed there. <laughs> Whenever you say politics now, people are like, oh my gosh, he's saying politics. Don't do it. Stay away. Maybe it's get a new job. Maybe just get more money, whatever it is. But if I could just submit this to you, all those answers are outside in transformation. You're trying to change everything on the outside, but Jesus came to change the inside. Jesus came to establish what I call the inside-out kingdom. If you ever um, studied his first uh, sermon, the Beatitudes, greatest sermon ever preached, he shares so many things in this sermon. And he talks about the two trees and the two houses and the two ways and the two lampstands. Over and over again, he's talking about two different things. Now, the two trees is one tree that is fruitful and one tree that has no fruit. Uh, two ways is one way that has life and the other, the rest of the ways has death. The two houses, one house, both of them look fine, just fine. But one's built on just something different. And one's just built on the world. We know the storm comes and knocks one off and the other one stands and talks about the two lampstands. And the lampstand one, if, you, if I really could break it down real quick for you, is he says we don't uh, become lamps so we put it over a, a bowl over it and hide the light. We actually want the light to shine. Because if I'm being honest, religion, we, we read that and we're like, oh, God's telling us to be distinctly different from the world. No, no, no. He's actually calling us to be distinctly different from religion. And it should scare you a little bit how similar religion looks to the movement of God. Two trees, two churches, two Christians, two people who think they're following God, 
But the reality is, is that one is the tree with no fruit and the one is the tree with fruit. One is religious and actually one has gospel goodness because the religious one is just basically, I want my Christianity inside the walls of the church. I want to bunker down. I just want the light for myself. I don't need it for the world. I'm just trying to get brighter in my own self. I don't care about the world. If I could put it this way, this is the big thought of my message today. Uh, Christians are doing things in the name of Jesus, but they're acting nothing like Jesus. So they're doing things in the name of Jesus, but they're acting nothing like Jesus. And so Jesus preaches this message. I don't want you to, I don't want you to do things in my name. I want you to actually become like me. And the only way that happens is if I change you from the inside out. The number one game changer in your life is not your job changing or you find a spouse or fixing your spouse. Those all things will be nice, but if this don't change, nothing changes. You're going you're to bring the wrong things into that relationship. You're going to bring the wrong things into that job. You're going to bring the wrong things into that promise. And so today's message is titled Becoming a Game Changer. Becoming a Game Changer. I, I hope that makes sense. I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to go into the message. Um, this teaching is different today because it is going to be like a staff teaching. Uh, I want to I preface this before I pray. So every Tuesday, I um, do a staff teaching with our staff. And basically, I'm trying to establish culture and how we're supposed to be the ambassadors culture, not mission church culture, <laughs> kingdom culture, okay? Like the culture of the kingdom of God. Because can I put it this way? Re re repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it this way. Uh, a lot of Christians repent enough just to get to heaven, but they don't repent enough to get heaven to earth. Wow. Um, let me say it this way. Your job is not to get to heaven. Your job is to get heaven to earth. And a lot of you have said yes to Jesus, and this is the whole series thought, is Game Changers is a sanctification series. But you can't title something sanctification these days because it gets no clicks and be like, sanctification, pass. Um, but, but sanctification is vivification and mortification, the renewing of the mind and the killing of the flesh. It is saying, I'm going to be something new. I'm going to be different. I'm going to think different. And so if I could submit this to you, um, that as we go through this little teaching, that there would be something that you would be willing to look at your own life and say, this needs to change. Um, and that the kingdom of God is why I'm here. Now, let me put it this way. Not, may not God only do something in you, but may he do something through you. So many of our goals is not actually to have heaven flow through us, but that's why you're on this planet. You're ambassador of the kingdom. You are alive so the kingdom of God will flow through your life. Not just so you can get to heaven. That's going to be great. But why not right now? I'm going to pray. God, I thank you for the whole staff meeting we have right now. A few hundred people in the room, and we're going to talk kingdom culture. We're going to become uh, game changers, Lord. You, you came on the scene, you grabbed 12 disciples, and you modeled for them not to do things in your name, to do, but to model just like the way you would do it. So God, may we live like Jesus. May we love like Jesus. May we serve like Jesus. May we respond like Jesus. Oh, Lord, we need you. May my words fall to the floor and your words soar. God, we need you. We need you. Everybody said? So tell my message is becoming a game changer, becoming a game changer. And the first question I have uh, for you uh, in my little uh, staff teaching with you today uh, is simply this, is uh, game changers need to be reminded that they are built to change the world. So if I were in a staff meeting, I would sit down and say, hey guys, I got to remind you something. We're here to change the world. We got to remind our people on Sundays that they are literally game changers, that they're supposed to change people's lives and change their, their lives should be changing. I want to read you a verse um, uh, real quick. Uh, it says this in 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 7. I, rem uh, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. He's saying, hey, Timothy, I remember when you got saved. Oh, 
you were a faith-filled kid. You were, you, were, you were rambunctious in the church almost. You can kind of hear Paul's words saying, I remember you just, you were, you were in church, excited to be in church, excited to build the church. I remember that faith in you, just like your, and your, your, uh, your, um, your grandmother Lois had it. This is why I remind you, ever say remind? remind? To fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. So God gave you a gift to fan, to foster, to get bigger, not to get smaller. And how many people, if I'm being honest, man, there are more dream killers in your life than dream releasers. There are more people dousing them than fanning them. And so you got to get good at flaming yourself sometimes. You know, God, you called me and you, you, you anointed me to preach the gospel. And then other people are like, Tyler, you talk too fast and you're weird. No, uh, God called me and anointed me to preach the gospel. Man, I don't like that guy. Well, God sure does love me. You got to learn how to fan your own flame, okay? Can I get an amen for that? This is why I remind you, fan the flame, the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, intimidity, but a power, love, and self-discipline. I remember hearing this message when, I first, uh, message when I first got saved that they said the first six months of a believer's walk is when they're most effective and impactful. It's when they're the game changer. And they show studies that basically first six months, you don't know what to do, so you're just kind of, you even maybe raise your hands too much, you're, you're sharing Jesus in safe way. But then after six months, they, they call it, you get, become a civilized Christian. You come to church, you say, hey, mighty man, too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. Amen. <laughs> Amen, mighty man of God. Yeah. You learn all the words. You learn how to fake it. You learn the sins that you, you're not, you don't want to share with everybody else because nobody else shares them, so you're not going to share them. You know the sins that you can share? I had a hard week. Oh, me too. That's as, as deep as you go with people. There is something to be said about the first six months of salvation. I, can I just share with you? about Being with my buddy Drew last week, we were just reminiscing about uh, God changing our life in that first six months. First six months, I'll never forget. I mean, I was, I was my faith, I, I got saved, and I was at the second row. I was going nuts at church. Worship night, I'm there. I would hear a message, uh, the Good Samaritan story. I don't know if you've heard it, but the Good Samaritan story is about this guy who basically gets beat up. He's on the side of the road, and the religious ones walk by him, and they don't care about him. And then a Samaritan who's the lowest of the lowest, which I can relate with because I grew up on food stamps, poor, a terrible family. I felt like the Samaritan, I felt like the outcast. I, didn't, I was ashamed to be dropped off at the movie theaters in our car. I'd have my mom drop me off at the other street, so I'd walk to the movie theater. Anybody else? Okay, I got real. Let's keep going. So um, I, was, I felt like I, I, could, I could relate with the Samaritan. It said the good Samaritan saw a man who was hurt and literally brought them to a um, hotel, motel, six, whatever. I'll bring them to the Lafayette Park Hotel. Come on now. Um, put them up for as long as they want and would take care of them. I remember hearing that and saying, I'm not gonna be the religious one. I'm gonna be the faith-filled game changer. If I see a person on the side of the road, I'm helping them, God. So I started picking up every hitchhiker I saw. Yeah, I know, different time, it's a different time. I don't do that no more. I don't even think about it. I don't think God speaks that way anymore. God took it off the table in heaven. Hitchhikers, they're off the table. So, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But pray about it, be wise. Get him an Uber. You know, God's given us Uber now. So I remember, I just, I heard the message. So the reason why is because I knew I'd have a captive audience. They'd get in my car and I'd literally be like, they're like you know, start talking. And, and I, I mean, I, was, I wasn't tactful. I wasn't finesseful at this moment. I was a new believer. So I said, the reason why I picked you up is because Jesus told me to. Half the time they're like, oh. you know, I didn't want to hear it. And I would tell them, and I'd, I'd bring them their destination, and I'd say, hey, I want to let you know that Jesus loves you. I was like, do you want to, do you want to receive Jesus? And now I, I don't want to exaggerate. I'm going to give you a real context number. It's about 12 hitchhikers I picked up within this span of my life, okay? The 12th one, I stopped picking up hitchhikers because I literally think he almost tried to kill me, and it scared the crud out of me, okay? Because I picked him up. He's like, oh, yeah, just take me here. And he's like, no, take a ride. 
I'll take a left. And, and I was like, where are we going? And like, I was like, I think this guy, I, I started getting really scared. I was like, oh, this is not a good idea picking up hitchhikers. That was the last one, the final one. Then I started, you know, doing other ways. But anyways, let's get back to the story. Um, but it was about 12 hitchhikers, and I'd always ask them if they want to say yes to Jesus or they wanted to go to church with me, and I'd pick them up where they were. I got two yeses out of 12. I got two, though. Changed two people's life. Two people's life. My buddy Drew, I remember uh, uh, we're at church and he hears the story in Acts 3. I don't know if you know the story, Acts 3. I don't want to read it to you a little bit. Can I, can I uh, remind you that you're supposed to be a game-changing Christian? Yeah. That, that when you hear something in the Bible, that you're not supposed to hear it, you're supposed to do it. Jesus came to model this, these kind of things. And the reason why Peter is saying silver and gold I do not have is because he saw Jesus do the same thing at Bethsaida. Let me just read it to you real quick. I got to read you some scripture. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. Can we just stop right there? They're on the way to a prayer service and ministry is not happening at the prayer service. It's happening before the prayer service. Just study in the Bible how many things happen on the way. Game changers know that ministry happens on the way. Something happened in American Christianity where you think this is when all ministry happens. No, no, no. This is one little slice of the pie. Important slice. You better value it, but it's not the slice of the pie. On the way to church, on the way out of church, on the way to work, on the way. They're on the way. Let's see what happens. On the way. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put uh, beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg uh, from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. He's asking for change. Can I get some change? And again, all of us, we want some change, but we want external change. No, no, God came to bring in, in, internal change. Can I get some change? Change, come on now. I don't know what I'm doing that, okay. Um, sounded fun. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. Layman looked at him, okay. You gotta get, get, get in the store with me. Looked at him eagerly, expecting some money. People are waiting for you to change their outer, but God wants to use you to change their inner, okay? And this is why I love uh, uh, this story. I don't have silver. I don't have gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Bam! So we leave church. Piat Fair is going on Piat. We see a guy in a wheelchair asking for change. And Drew says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Guy looks at us and goes, what are you talking about? You got money or not? And Drew were like, oh man, that did not play out the way we thought it did. And I was like, oh gosh, he looks at you. We could give the guy some money, Drew. Let's give him some money. <laughs> Senior prom. We go to Morton's Steakhouse in the city. Worked at McDonald's in high school. I saved my money up for that dinner. And we're on the way to Morton's and we see a couple prostitutes in Seattle. And the way that we are wired in this season of our life is, of course you stop and minister to the prostitutes. Drew gets out of the car, starts telling about Jesus. Kind of freaked me out. I couldn't do it. And I was like, you're doing a good job. <laughs> Tell him that Jesus loves everybody. John Ford comes to mind. The woman at the well. And I was like, it's kind of my moment. You know, I feel like I'm contributing a little bit. So he's sharing the gospel with prostitutes. Drew and I were reminiscing. I was trying to think of the stories I have the last 10 years. I adopt Starbucks. I adopt the gyms I work at. I invite people. But I'm not swinging the bat like I used to. Come on, team, we got to swing the bat. We got to remind ourselves to fan the flame, that you're going to walk by somebody, and you're going to get a ton of no's. 
but you are built to change somebody's life. And the first six months, for some reason, we just aren't as discouraged or distracted. And we say, man, I want that. And what I've been doing in my prayer time is saying, God, I am yours. I will do whatever you want me to do. Um, I will, I, I, I'm not willing to pick up hitchhikers right now, God, unless there's a burning bush, but I will do a lot for you. Okay. I got to remind you today, you're a game changer. Fan into flame your passion to reach people again. Fan into flame, inviting people to church again. Fan into flame, loving people again, serving people again. You got to fan it into flame. A lot of you right now, it's barely a, a burning coal. Man, I believe God is going to uh, catch Christians on fire. This is what I tell our staff real quick. Hey, let's flame people up. Let's be flamethrowers. That's what I tell our staff. I say, hey, speak into people's life. Encourage them. Can we do that together? Yeah. So the first point, okay, 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 Caroline, okay. Um, Second thing that I would teach them is we got to find the ones that actually want to change. Do you want to be a game changer? And this is just what I would, I would share with them. I want to share with you today uh, that, that we have to actually, the Bible says you don't want to just throw your seed anywhere. You actually want to invest your life where you're going to see actually somebody who wants what you have. So it says this in John 5. I love it. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem from one of uh, the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate at a pool, which is in Aramaic. It's called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie uh, used to lie the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there who had been invalid for 38 years. Can I be honest? John 5's a better picture of a church service than what we have today. The blind, the lame, the ones that have been struggling with the same thing for 38 years. Jesus did not die on a cross to create a better than movement. You know, to create all of us to, to fake it till we make it. No, there is something to be said about us understanding. Can I just be honest with you? You messed up. I messed up. When I read the stats of what people struggle with in the church, it's not like two out of 10 struggle with pornography. It's nine out of 10. You're not alone. You're not alone struggling with this. Stop feeling the shame of it and realize that we're all messed up. The, the amount of people who will not forgive people. You're not alone. You're an unforgiving, bitter person. There's a lot of us in here. God wants to set you free. You're not, this is a broken room like Bethsaida. And here's the question that Jesus has for those type of people. He has for me today and he has for you. Can I read it to you real quick? When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question, do you want to get well? And what I would say to our staff and what I'm going to say to the church today is we have to find people who want to get well. And the question would be, do you want to change? Do you want to conquer that lust? Do you want to start forgiving people? Do you want to become free? Do you want to become a game changer? Find those ones and give your life to them. Encourage them. Inspire them. The Bible says stir them up. Oh, pray for them. Teach them what you not teach. Be their accountability buddy. You got to have people in your life running with you. Find the ones that say, yes, I want to get well. Jesus didn't say, oh yeah, I'll fix you. No, he wants to know first. Anybody in the room want to get well? Or do you just want to play church? Anybody just want to change it there? You just want to stay the same and put another little thing or phrase in your pocket that makes you feel a little better this week? And Jesus came to change lives. I'm loving our staff meeting today. Just so you know, you're not getting paid for this, okay? You're not on the clock, okay? All right, so here's what I want to do. So that would be the preface of, and you can ask our staff. My, our staff meetings are long. I teach for a long time. So if you're new to church, welcome. Um, so we would preface those two things. I would, I would want to set the culture of it. The, the, what I basically just right there, right there was the spirit of it and the aim of it. 
We gotta have this kind of spirit, a passionate spirit. We gotta get back to fan and flames. That's the spirit of it. Then we gotta have our aim. What's our aim? Find the ones that wanna grow. And then if I'm just, if I could just speak church with you real quick. My job is to teach you to worship God. That's the first thing I'm supposed to do. Extol, just worship. And can I be honest? I love our church. I feel like we're, something's growing. We're, we're, we're in worship. I hear people raising their voice, lift their hands, literally worshiping God, not only with their voice, but they're actually serving and their life as a living sacrifice. Second thing I'm supposed to do is equip the saints. I'm supposed to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I'm supposed to equip you to be a game changer. And then the third thing, we're supposed to evangelize. Church does those three things. It's a healthy church. And so I want to equip you today. So this is the second, this is the second part of staff meeting, and then we'll be done, is I want to give you a handful of tools so you can actually be an equipped game changer. That you have some things in your pocket that you don't go, okay, I'm, I'm going to battle, but I got no gun. I'm going to battle, but I got no helmet. I'm going to battle, but I got no general to follow. No, no, I'm going to send you out into battle, if I could just put it that way, because it is a battlefield a lot of time out there, but I'm going to give you some good stuff. Does that sound good? First thing that you need to become a game changer is you need to fall in love with the mission and not the method. This is a big deal because you are going to be paralyzed if you love the method over the mission. Let me just show you this real quick. Mark 4. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. Right there, if you don't know context, Jesus is starting his ministry and he is doing something new. Everybody say new. Game changers are down to do it in new ways, new, new methods. Now, the only way the gospel was preached or the law was preached at this time was in the synagogues. Only, only on Sundays, okay, only in the synagogue was it preached. Jesus said, I'm doing it a whole new way. I was teaching the synagogues. I'm going out to the people and I'm going to teach by the lakeshore. The term for this was called frontier revival in the revival days. This is a brand new thing. This, this is be like, what are you doing, Jesus? I'm going where the people are at. And so he's doing a new thing. Not only is he doing a new thing, but he decides to teach in a parable, a story. That's even new. So he's, his method is, I'm going out there and I'm teaching in stories. So let's just look at this real quick. I want, I want, I want, I want to read you this, Matthew 9, 17. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from uh, the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in the new wine skins so that both are preserved. Basically, Jesus has shown us a picture that if you aren't willing to receive a new method, God doing something new in your life, it will burst and you won't be able to receive it. I told our staff this week, I'm gonna be 40 this year, uh, July, uh, 2022. Come on, I'm excited, the big 4-0. Come on now, working out to be the most fit I've ever been at 40. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, not working out yet, it's holidays. I'll start in January, leave me alone. <laughs> Uh, but in January, I'm starting. Anybody with me? Okay. Um, and it hit me. I was like, I'm at that age now where I could fall into old wineskin. Being a pastor for 17 years, you do church this way, you preach this way, and this is the method you do. And I've just been submitting my life to Jesus. Is there anything new you want to do? Do you want to do a 3 p.m. prayer service every day of the week, Monday through Friday, God? How do you want to do it? Because if I could just share with you, I want to show you that God loves changing the method, but he loves people who love the mission. They're committed to it. I want to show you the, the revival just throughout history. Uh, Wesley in the 1700s, you know anything about John Wesley? He became a game changer, but he went on a normal missionary trip to America to, mission, uh, to be a missionary to the Indians in America at that time, the 1700s. And to be honest, he said he doesn't even know if he was saved at the time. He's like, he felt like he was kind of saved, but he went and, and not, nothing happened. Nobody was getting saved. He came back. Uh, to England, and um, he, uh, it says that uh, he was listening to a man read Romans 8. And as the man is reading scripture, John Wesley says his heart started to warm up. Can we, can we go back to that flame? Started to feel the flame birth in him. 
and literally transform him and say, man, I want to preach the gospel anyway any, to anybody who wants to hear it. He had a buddy, Whitfield, in New York and went and visited. Whitfield was preaching in the streets. And Wesley was like, what are you doing? We don't preach in the streets. But he was seeing him. He's preaching to miners, like literally miners, coal miners. He's preaching to miners at the time. And thousands were being saved. So Wesley goes back and he goes, a frontier um, uh, uh, by the lakeshore preaching works. I'm going to try it in England. So Wesley would go out in the streets and just start preaching the gospel. Thousands were saved. God was doing something new at that time in the 1700s. And then it became tent revivals. And it was amazing for a season. And then it got weird. The church is famous for getting weird, holding on to the wrong things, you know? Well, this is just how we start service, always with the organ. Toss it, you know what I'm saying? There's something to be said about the church falling in love with methods that hurts. So, so that's how God did in the 1700s. Let's keep going. In New York, uh, they were doing a midday prayer service. 10% in New York in the late 1800s, around 1870. 10% two years got saved. Can you imagine 10% of the Bay Area? 10 million, a million people getting saved in two years? Midday prayer was the thing that marked that revival. Not frontier revival. Well, hold on. They did frontier, so we got to do frontier. No, no, no. God, how do you want to do it in New York? We want to do something new. God, what do you want? Okay, midday prayer. Boom. We, we'll, we'll do whatever way you want to do it, so we're going to do it new. Let me, let me read you another revival. Uh, the Azusa Street Revival was birthed in the 1900s in uh, Southern California, and it was marked by power, miracles, and speaking in tongues. Anybody grow up in the Pentecostal movement? Anybody else? I did. Man, they have not left the Azusa Street Revival. The only way it's going to happen is by power and miracles and speaking in tongues. Or it's not going to be exactly like the Zeusry Revival because God wants to do something new. I, I love my Pentecostal roots. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'm not going to fall in love with a method over the mission. Maybe it's going to be a midday prayer. Maybe you're going to see me at Neiman Marcus. Maybe they didn't give me the inside, but I'm going to take the porch. I'm going to take the sidewalk, and maybe I start preaching right there. Just maybe. Service tomorrow, 3 p.m., Neil Marcus. <laughs> Welsh Revival was birthed in 1904. And the sad thing is they fell so in love with the tenets and the literature of that service. It was four things, basically. You had to confess Christ publicly. You had to repent of your sins publicly. All these things. And it became so mechanical that in the beginning when it birthed, it was amazing. But then it became so liturgical that nothing was happening anymore. And last but not least, Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s said that revival was being marked in England by awe and wonder. That you'd walk into a room of thousands and you could hear a pin drop and just hear. <laughs> That's what I call the 11 a.m. service sometimes. The awe service. It's kappa awe. Sometimes it's the 9 a.m. service. Just depends. Today not. Okay, so, okay good. Okay. Um, you're like, ow, that hurts. Um, when you're quiet, I just know you're marked by awe. I know revival's still happening, okay? Um, can, can I just share with you real quick that I have no idea how God's going to birth revival in the Bay Area, but I'm open to something new. Yeah. Yeah. Can you be open to something new with me? Yeah. We're not going to be in love with methods. I'm just in the mission. People need to hear about Jesus. People need to experience the love of Jesus. People need to be prayed for like crazy by people who understand the heart of God. They need to be served just where they're at. They need to be loved where they're at. They just, they literally need to encounter the love of God. So I, I love that mission. Can we do that mission? Yeah. And then let's see what God births in it. Maybe, maybe that is midday prayer. Maybe it is frontier. Maybe it is power. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm down. Are you down? Okay, let's keep going. So, um, thanks. Okay, a, a game changer uh, knows how to share their story. So, so the first thing is that I just gave you tool belt is I gave you a mindset of being open to new things. So that's your first tool. I, I know it doesn't seem like the most profound, but it's, it's going to be important. 
Each, we got, what, what does it look like today? Because some of you fall in love with just sharing Jesus at Starbucks. Maybe it's going to look different. Maybe it's going to be a restaurant. So be open to new things. That's your first weapon. Your second weapon is this. A game changer knows to share the story. You need to be ready in and out of season, says in Timothy. You got to be ready to share the gospel. When, not, not when it's convenient, but you need to know how to share the gospel. A lot of Christians have to tell you, how do I share the gospel with people? How do I share like the, the, the gospel? Now, there's different ways. You got to look for people who want to receive it. They realize they need Jesus. You have them receive Jesus, repent, and boom, they're saved. So there's a bunch of R's there. But I'm going to give you one of the most simple tools that is going to be powerful. You need to learn how to share your story. Mark 4 says this, a very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got in a boat. Then he sat in a boat with all the people who remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. And it goes on, and the, uh, the theologians say there's a farmer nearby. He said, listen, a farmer went to plant seed. Jesus is taking uh, um, a worldly um, a story and giving you a heavenly principle. That's what a parable is. Taking a worldly picture, but giving you a heavenly promise. Short story, big truth. That's all a parable is, not an allegory. It's literally a big truth. And so, if I can be honest, why did Jesus teach us stories? You gotta ask yourself that question. I think one of the first reasons you gotta understand is he's teaching outside. Thousands of people gathered. And if he's boring, guess what they do? They can just walk away. There's no doors like we do. We lock our doors. <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Rachel, no way down. It's a joke. Um, so you could be somebody who pulls up and you start sharing a story and you'd be like, mm. and if he was just sharing, you know, like uh, the to-do list, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. People walk, but he shares a story. Hey, listen, there's a farmer who's some planting some seed. Stories grab people. I want to prove to you stories grab. I want to read you a story real quick. Dear Vincent, I'm pretty sad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my tomato garden this year. I'm just getting too old to be digging up a garden plot. I know if you were here, my troubles would be over. I know you'd be happy to dig the plot for me like the good old days. Love, Papa. Now, Vincent is in prison to give you a heads up. A few days later, he received a letter from his son. Dear Papa, don't dig up that garden. That's where the stolen money is buried. Love, Vinny. At 4 a.m. the next morning, FBI agents and local police arrived and dug up the entire area without finding any money. They apologized to the old man and left. That same day, the old man received another letter from his son. Dear Papa, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. Love you, Vinny. None of you are going to leave in the middle of that story. Money's buried back there. Where? You know, like, Vinny's in prison. Why? You know? <laughs> Stories grab you. They grab us. And then we don't see things happening, and then they surprise us. Stories expose our blind spots. Nathan in the Old Testament to David, if you know the story, David was a king. He had a horrible moment. He was doing something terrible. He basically stole somebody else's wife, had the guy killed, didn't even see the grossness of his life. And so Nathan, the prophet, and Jesus is a better prophet than Nathan, shares a story about a man who had one little lamb and another man who had a ton of lamb, and he stole the one lamb. And David was like, kill that man. And Nathan's like, you're that man. And David's like, never mind. You know, and so... And the reason why is David saw it through a story. Stories have us see pictures. How do we describe faith to somebody in the Bible? It says, faith is like Abraham. Watch Abraham. Read Abraham's life. Then you'll know what faith is. It's a picture. Faith is more of a story than it is a statement. And so what we need to do is we need to have our believers in the house, our team, our staff, know how to tell their story. You want to know why last week was so good? I thought my buddy Andrew killed it. Who was at church last week? It was so good. 
I've heard that story so many, I mean, I've known Jamal, like, you know, again, since 14, I've heard that salvation story so many times. Walmart, you name it. First service, oh my gosh, Ryan, Ryan, you got saved. Second service, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you got saved. Every time I cry, Andrew has gotten really good at telling his story. And when he tells his story, the Bible says that the way we overcome the enemy is the blood of the lamb, the power of the testimony, and not loving our life too much. The power of your story is the way that we overcome the enemy. You gotta get really good at telling your story. The good, the bad, you ready? And the ugly parts. You know what problem with church today? None of us share our bad parts. None of us share our ugly parts. None of us, it's just like, that's a, it's a massive part of our story and that's where the Redeemer lives. But instead of letting people know what the Lord redeemed, it's just, it's none of your business. And so we don't share the story anymore, so therefore nobody is moved to live for God. The power of the testimony will move people to live for God. Yeah. You gotta get good at telling your story. And the reality is, is when you're with somebody and you start sharing your story about your family or what God's done in your life, the short, short story and the one big truth should always be this in your parable. Jesus is my savior. That's, the, that's your story's big principle because the, the worldly story, your story, will have one big heavenly principle, Jesus saved my life. Yes. Just start telling people your story. Some of us think it's just so complicated. It's not that complicated if you want to change the world. Just start st sharing what God's doing in your life. Share your drunk. You know what I love is one of my uh, pastors I had, he was just so transparent, almost too transparent to be honest, to where I was like, you really messed up more than I am. <laughs> but what I loved about it is he would share his valleys so I could celebrate his peaks. We gotta share valleys better. Can we get better at telling our stories? A game changer is good at sharing the story. Almost done. Next one is simply this is, game changers know it's about training and not trying. Training and not trying. I wanna uh, um, rewind, forgive me, I just looked at my notes. Um, we're looking to share testimonies, uh, maybe once a month or once every five weeks on a video and capture people's stories of how God changed their life and how they got saved. We have Salvation's House. So if you want to share your story, uh, email us at info at missionchurchca.com. And once a month, we're just going to celebrate God transforming somebody's story. Uh, th th we got to have that more in the house. It's a part of the church culture. we got to get more transparent. So if you want to share your story, info at missionchurchca.com, and that's going to be part of our rhythm. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. Uh, next one, a game changer knows is about training, not about trying. I don't know about you, but does anybody else, uh, you're going to leave here, and you're like, all right, that's it. Tyler said there's going to be new things. I'm going to try not to sin this week. I'm going to try, I'm going to try so hard. And then what happens? Sometimes you make it a whole week, which is really impressive. But then on day eight, you just fail again. Like, I tried, I can't do it. Do you know how many times uh, Jesus tells us to try? How many times in the epistles, Paul, the great builder, the great mentor tells us to try? Replace the word trying with the mindset of now training. Because he never tells his disciples to try, he tells them to train. Training is completely different from trying. Let me read you a verse real quick. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself. Everybody say, train yourself. Train. To be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. I think one of the reasons why people aren't game changers is they try to be game changer and just didn't work out. I'm going to tell myself real quick. I can now do anywhere from seven to ten pull-ups on my own. Now, you need to know something. If you want to qualify to be a Navy SEAL, that's the number they have to do. I'm basically a Navy SEAL. <laughs> Should never make that joke. We have some Navy SEALs at our church. I repent of that. Forgive me. Um, I'm pamper soft, right? When they put you in the cold water, I would tap out. I'd ring that bell. Um, 
First time they would call me a name, I'd be like, I'm, just, I'm out here. I just, I thought you loved me. Ring, ring, bell. But when I found out that a Navy SEAL could do, for their standard test, they do a handful of things, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, runs. But one of their standardized things, they had to do seven. And it ranges anywhere on the internet. If you are a real Navy SEAL, you can tell me what the real number is. But I've read everywhere, I've watched documentaries, it's six to 10, and the real ones, not the cheats, okay? And so when we first started, I started with the really, and I don't know why it had to be purple, but a really big purple rubbery band. And Rachel would pull it down, I'd put my foot in it, and I would do 10 with the rubber purple band. And it just felt really manly, and I felt really impressive in front of my wife. You know, a little rubber band just helping me pull up. And one, and two, and three. And then even with the purple band, like on six, it'll be, it's six. For six months, I was on bands. Band, purple band, uh, black band, green band. And finally, six months later, I'm doing three pull-ups a mile, four pull-ups a mile. Five pull-ups. A year later, I got a pull-up bar in my garage now. I look at that thing. I'm like, pop, 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 pop. Navy SEAL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I have Rachel come out and just watch. <laughs> hey, girl, I'm going to pull-ups. Let's go. This is weird, Tyler. I know. I know. You're married to a Navy SEAL. You're welcome. The reality is, September 28th of 2020, I committed to do consistently what other people did occasionally. And I said, I'm going to work out every day. Doesn't have to be a long time, but I'm going to commit to training my body. And I'm going to be able to do pulps for the first time. I'm not going to have my weight fluctuate. To be honest, my whole life, my weight fluctuates 30 pounds up or down. Like, somebody's like, oh, dang. <laughs> um, COVID happened. I went on a running spree. I lost about 35 pounds. I went in the summer for sabbatical. I gained 40 pounds in about three months. I love pizza. Okay, it is what it is. And then I stopped where I just would, bah, and then I'd gain weight. And so I remember September, I'm like, I want to get off this cycle. And I remember I would try. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to change my, I'm going to train. And this is going to be a new way I live my life. And some of you right now, you can't even make it a day without lust. But start training your brain and praying differently. Have an accountability people. Having an assistant person say, hey, call me if you're struggling. And then you make it two days. And then you make it three days. And a year from now, training to become godly, praying and serving and forgiving, what could you be at this time next year? My standard was a Navy SEAL when it came to my physical training. Who's your standard spiritually? It should be Jesus. Jesus, should, we should never, ever lie to ourselves. That is our standard of loving, forgiving, and serving, and praying, and sacrificing. That is the standard. Am I there yet? No, but I'm training to be that. This time next year, I pray I'm more loving. Maybe this time next year, I actually pick, pick up a hitchhiker again. We'll see what happens. But I believe it, that if you stop trying, you actually take the mindset of training. I'm giving you a good tool today. I pray that you use it. That you start training. Ooh, your life's going to be different. I'm going to invite uh, um, Lacey to come up and just play some keys. We're going to finish. Last but not least, game changers understand the cost. I can't lie to you and past you and tell you this is going to be the easiest thing saying yes to, to being a game changer, to being somebody who's becoming one, to changing lives and building the house. Jesus uh, goes into this desert. Now, I need to set something up real quick in Matthew 4. Matthew 3 is the greatest church service ever. Like, Tyler, I don't know about ever. Let me just give you a couple things that happened in the church service. Ready? Jesus was baptized at it in Matthew 3, okay? I baptized a lot of people. I didn't baptize Jesus, okay? Jesus was baptized at it. The heavens opened and God spoke at it. 
audibly. I've never been to a service like that. Doves flew at it. We should have some doves one of these times, okay? That's an amazing church service. You ever leave a great church service? I mean, that kind of church service, you gotta be like, woo, heaven's open, doves flew, God talked to me, said he loved me, I'm well pleased. You think the next day would be like, la ta da da ta ta Jesus loves you, you're saved, what do you need? No, the next chapter, Jesus goes into the biggest war of his 40 days before he dies on the cross, basically. He gets led by the Spirit there, and it shows us the cost of being a game changer. Because here's what happened. The Son of God now said, I'm in the game. The first 30 years, God was doing stuff with Jesus, but this is the moment where Mark, where Jesus said, hey, I've now been baptized. I'm gonna come preach the gospel. And can I just tell you real quick, you ever been to a football game? Fans don't get tackled. Players do. And the reality is, if you say you're being uh, gonna be a game changer, you're going from fan to follower. You're going and saying, I'm out of the stands and I'm in the, I'm in the game. But the reality is you're gonna get tackled this week if you say yes. And the way those tackles look is your identity is gonna be attacked. Your worth is gonna be attacked. Think about this, Matthew 4, Jesus goes in the desert and says this, for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God. The one thing that God told Jesus, you are my son, who I'm well pleased. The one thing God told him, what's the first thing that Satan attacks? The one thing he heard from God. So tomorrow, Right now, something's happening in your heart. Lord, I, I'm gonna go for it, I'm gonna go for it. And what's gonna happen tomorrow is the enemy's gonna come and attack the one thing you, got, you think God told you. He's gonna make you question and doubt it. He's gonna make you question your gifting and your talent and your, and, and your grace. And if you're, you could even do anything, you're gonna, you're gonna swing the bat and you're gonna feel like you got tackled. A game changer understands that in season, out of season, tackles, no tackles, prison, no prison, happy day, sad day, uh, good week, bad week, they are in the game to preach the gospel. I had one of my least favorite weeks I've had in a long time this week. Shared it with our prayer team. This wasn't my message, but I gotta, I gotta share with, with you real quick. I just felt so gross, fleshful, weak, carnal. I read my Bible every day this week in the morning, but I never had like that warm and fuzzy moment where like, woo, God loves me, woo, I'm gonna change the world this week. I just felt like just, I just felt ill-equipped and gross. And I'm like, why do I still struggle with that? And why aren't I here yet? I just, I couldn't get past it. I didn't want to come to church today. I didn't want to preach today. I told my wife that on Saturday. I said, babe, I, I, don't, I don't want to preach tomorrow. It's the first time in a long time. I don't want to preach tomorrow. I don't feel it. I don't like that feeling. You don't get a pick, game changer. You don't get a pick. I got, can I go to church when I want to? Can I preach when I want to? And well, I woke up this morning, I was praying right there, and you know, and Lisa's saying, if you try in your own strength and you, you need him to fill you up, I was like, that was me. I was like, God, can you fill me up right now? I, I, want, I want to preach a message that would change the world, but, but I don't feel it. I, I was just feeling terrible. The reality is, is if you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. If you stand firm, you win. Game changer, stand firm this week. If you don't feel like it, throw your feelings out the door. Your feelings lie to you all the time. Doesn't mean they're not important, but they lie to you. Walk by faith, walk by promises, walk by truth. Have other people around you encouraging you, saying you got this. Come on now, will you bow your heads? I don't know it's your first time, second time in church, but we always give this opportunity at the end of service. If you never said yes to Jesus, never said yes to heaven, no to hell, the Bible shows you, you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, that you'll be saved. 
This is a moment of literally response. It's, it's your salvation moment is the way we call it. It will change your life forever. It is not to be taken lightly. You're literally saying, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. The way we ask that question is if you, we ask you to raise your hand and we're gonna pray for you responding to Jesus. You're saying, yes, God, I want you to be my savior. If that's who you wanna say yes to Jesus on the count of three, raise your hand, we wanna pray for you. One, two, three, raise it high, I wanna pray for you. I see you, God bless you, come on now. All heaven celebrating, God bless you. God, this week, may we be game changers. God, may we be people that actually say yes to fanning the flame, the gift and the talents and the responsibility on our life. May we share your gospel. May we love people. May we serve people. God, may Mission Church not be a light hidden under a bowl, but may it be a light on a hill that loves and serves people. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said, hey, love you, Mission Church. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.